From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 175 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm holly jolly. How are you? Oh, good. I'm I'm all eggnoggy. <laughs> Couldn't come up with something. But, but yeah, I got the outside decorations up. Very nice. So over so this weekend, yep. not all of them are working. You know, I love those Disney decorations at Lowe's, but they don't have a long lifespan. Some are remarkably short. So I have I put up a couple and I, I didn't test them like I normally do, and then one thing isn't working that is really annoying me. and um, But then some have been running for years without mm-hmm. any problems, so I can't figure it out. Yeah, I uh, decided this year when I, I plugged in our tree and half of the bulbs were out, I I decided that I was going to you know, use my, my voltage detector to find out which lights were causing the issues and replace bulbs and, and start doing that. And I was able to fix about, I think it was like 65, 70 lights on our Christmas tree and completely uh, got it back into good working order after uh, having it for four or five years. And I was like, you know what? This is great. I'm going to be able to do this with all of our lights from now on and uh, put up our exterior lights and on the bushes and stuff. And I changed out about 50 lights and I am like ready to pull what little hair I have right now out of my head and say, why did I decide to do this and not just buy new strands and, and be wasteful like the rest of the world when my lights go out? Because it <laughs> is annoying. Well, it's hard with those lights on the tree when they go out and they're already on there mm-hmm. that and that happens to me all the time and it drives me crazy yeah anyway especially after it's decorated it's all decorated and then suddenly a whole section goes out oh my gosh <laughs> oh my gosh and carol would tell me it still looks beautiful i say all i see is this big dark spot in the tree <laughs> so, you and i are uh, are the same always yeah. the same <laughs> oh well Oh, it's all part of the the holiday tr- spirit or tradition or whatever. Exactly. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, due to the pandemic, you know, D23, the official Disney fan club, had to reschedule Destination D to 2021 and the D23 Expo to 2022. However, they've been offering more virtual events for D23 members and even for non-members. Um, during the week of November 16th, though, they held the D23 Fantastic World Celebration. And this was not meant to be a replacement for Destination D, but as a special event for D23 members and non-members with two special events exclusively for gold members. Well, they threw on a third on Saturday 
uh, and um, which was just a, supposed to be a sneak preview of a episode of the new Mickey Mouse um, cartoon series, but it was an episode I'd seen, so I, w- I was very confused by that. Anyway, so in in this episode, Craig and I are going to review the events. Craig, so should we just start out then with um, Monday, November 16th? I think that would be perfect. Might as well start okay. at the very beginning. I, I think the very beginning, it was the best and worst mm-hmm. of the event. <laughs> so, in my opinion. We started out with the Fantasy Legacy, a conversation with Eric Goldberg. And this was pre-recorded and way too short. Yes. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, considering this was the the highlight event of of the entire week of all the panels they did, uh, it was it was disappointingly short compared to some of the other stuff that they ended up sitting through. But uh, you know what? I'm I'm glad that we got it at all. So yeah, yeah. And you know, for Eric, uh, you know, he was saying how uh, he had two great memories of Fantasia. First time he saw it was in a theater in the seventies. It was a terrible print. It was in 1977 in California when Star Wars was released, and he saw. And then um, was his second memory of it was in 1977, and. And it was the best print he ever saw of Fantasia. The theater was packed, and they had a form of Fantasound um, in there because he said certain sounds came out of certain speakers to augment and follow the animation rather than being the all-around sound that we're used to today. So he said that the interesting thing about Fantasia was the perfect synchronization of music and animation, and people don't realize that that is not an easy thing to do. So, um, and Sorcerer's Apprentice, like, is Eric's favorite sequence, as it is mine. And he agrees it's the best vehicle for, um, Mickey Mouse. And, um, and what's great is Eric has worked for the studio for so long. He knew the people that worked on Fantasia. He talked about, uh, Art Babbitt, who did the thistle dance. You know, for the, uh, and also Zeus in the Pastoral Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, Art Babbitt was Eric's mentor. And, and, um, let's see, Joe Grant, who did Dance of the Hours, um, he'd go to lunch with him every week. So, you know, and I, I've seen Eric talk at like the Walt Disney Family Museum numerous times, and they, he has some just wonderful stories. And Eric talked about how he loves the Thistle Dance from the Nutcracker Suite segment. And so whenever he sees a live performance of the Nutcracker, he's always disappointed that the can't, dancers can't jump, you know, as yeah. well <laughs> as Art Babbitt's Thistles. And it's funny because I said, I think the same thing. And, um, I feel, I feel the same way. I like, I, I give, uh, I, I don't want to say that I, I dislike, the ballet nutcracker, uh, nutcracker suite or anything but i always am like i'm going to love seeing a performance of the nutcracker the same way i love the sequence from fantasia and like no fantasia actually found a way to do it better yeah, in my opinion yeah. yeah and as we know uh you know when we talked about you know our series on mickey mouse you know fantasia didn't click you know with audiences in the 40s but in the psychedelic era Mm-hmm. of the 60s that's when it really got discovered but he talked about how 
Fantasia really pushed the boundaries artistically. And every single sequence had a different art style. And the, the so the effects of Rite of Spring, you talked about a really spectacular. And I find this kind of stuff fascinating. You know, he talked about the effects of the black smoke rising from the volcanoes and how they got that. They shot, and, and Craig, you know way more about making films than I do. But so maybe you can, I don't know if I'll explain this correctly, but he said they shot high contrast black and white film. Then they put a water tank in front of it and poured white paint into the water tank. And then as it spread out, they shot it in slow motion. And then they flipped it upside down and then made the black parts white and the white parts black. And that's how they made the black smoke rising out of the volcano. I can't even visually picture this. It, you well, you explained it perfectly. So good job on that. But yeah, it's um, no, it, it, it that's just one of those brilliant effects that they were doing uh, back then when when animation was still so so new and like that. I could sit through more panels on like special effects in classic Disney disney movies like i could sit through more of those panels than anything else i think it's it's brilliant stuff and it's hard to visualize even even if you know about movies it's still hard to like really visualize some of these things but it's just uh, the ideas that they came up with to to get the desired effects are just uh, it's so captivating so i Mm -hmm. loved i loved hearing a little bit of a glimpse into that because i i do i do like watching movies and and try to figure out like if it's older how did they how did they do that effect you know nowadays it's you know unless it's a movie where they're talking about how it is a lot of practical effects being done then you don't even have to worry about that you just say oh no it's probably cgi but back in those days you know you you had to figure out how they did those little tricks and whether it's rotoscoping or doing doing something like what what you just explained by by how they actually shot it and reversed it all it's uh just just wild stuff and how did they even think of it that sort of amazes me that they, they, they oh yeah white paint in here and yeah, it's almost white, just black, black, black. Like I mean, they, it's incredible. Yeah, it's like they, you know, they just had a bunch of ideas on a wall and just started throwing darts and say, "Okay, well, we'll yeah. try this one." But of course, yeah. that's not how it is. They, they, they knew they they had this idea, like maybe that will work, and and tried it, and it clearly did. And it's such a simple effect that you know, I don't. I I know I I've noticed that before in Fantasia and in other tons of other effects in there, but it, it I know the next time I go to watch Fantasia now I'm going to be staring at this stuff even more Me trying too. to figure it out. Me too. And he um and, and of course as we know you know Walt saw Fantasia as a work in progress, so it'd be a moving piece of art, and so they would update sequences, add new ones, remove old ones, but then. The war happened. Fantasia wasn't a success. So Walt never got a chance to realize his dream. But 60 years later, his nephew, Roy E. Disney, did. And that's when he created Fantasia 2000. And Eric got involved in Fantasia 2000 because the director and producer wanted him to do the carnival of animal sequence. And remember, that's the flamingos with the yo-yo, which is... I'm like one of my favorite sequences in that. And ba- and the reason they wanted Eric is they, they basically wanted someone who could animate the whole sequence by himself. 
you know, without any yeah. help. And that blew me but away. I know. It, it's amazing, you know, because they showed some clips from it when you see it. And then when he talked about, um, oh, we'll get into some of yeah. what he said. But he all, he really wanted Rhapsody in Blue to be in it. But Roy Disney and Don Ernst thought it was too modern for fan. And at that time, the film was called Fantasia um, Continued. And so Rhapsody in Blue got put on the shelf. But Eric was so committed to Rhapsody in Blue that he um, he uh, decided to uh, – he worked on it. He got permission to work on it as like a separate standalone short. So he was working on it in tandem with his work that he was doing on Fantasia 2000. And he said settling on the songs to be included got a bit sticky. So they had several screenings to see what would work. And not everything worked. At beginning, the first screening was a combination of the original sequences and the new ones they were working on. And he said they just didn't cut together. And so Eric and his wife, Sue, were working on Rap City in Blue. And after this disastrous screening, Roy E. Disney turns to Eric and Eric mimicked him perfectly and asked if um, Rhapsody in Blue would be ready in time for Fantasia 2000's release. And Eric said, yes, it would. And that's how Rhapsody in Blue got into the film. Yeah, I I like that background. And Rhapsody in Blue is my favorite sequence Mm -hmm. from Fantasia 2000. So it was was nice getting a little bit extra of that background. I I, I can't remember if that's made it into any special features before or uh, or commentary tracks, but I, I, I appreciated getting a little glimpse of it here. Yeah, I agree. And, and Fantasia 2000, also continued the style of the original in which every single sequence is animated in a unique style. So, and what was cool is, is that Eric and his wife Susan worked together. Susan was the art director on the two pieces in Fantasia because they, and they each had respect for each other's skill set. And she took her job very seriously because I thought, oh gosh, you know, husband and wife working together, but no, they did it. And, um, he talked about how Carnival of the Animals is animated in watercolors. And so, and then this is interesting. I, when the hero flamingo is in control of the screen, the sky is a cool green. And when the six snobby flamingos are in control, the sky's an angry yellow orange. And then it goes back and forth. And it's, it's like a, he said it's like a color tennis match. Yeah. And, and and I think that's great. And then in Rhapsody in Blue, Susan chose a palette that was almost entirely inflected by blue. Even things that are bright, like a bright yellow, still have blue in them. And the flesh tones are all blue and purple. This purple has a little red, so you think that might be a, a bit of a flesh tone. But everything is an all blue palette. And it was an experiment that they were doing. But it all had to look like an Al Hirschfeld drawing. And th- they said the cool thing was they got to work with Al, who was in yeah. his 90s. And he gave them great notes and doodles and was very proud of the film. And they screened it for him. And when he was like, I think it was like 96 or something like that. And, and you know, and his wife said that um, 
it was it was like the best birthday present that they could have given him. And and they got double Annie Awards uh, for for Fantasia. Um, Susan got it for production design for Rhapsody in Blue, and Eric for character animation in Carnival of the Animals. So, and and they're both on Disney Plus. Yes, so. and yes. Uh, they, and that panel is still up to watch as of at least the time that we're recording this, and it looks like they're mm-hmm. not going to pull it down. So, uh, if you you want to enjoy it all over again, if you didn't the first time. Definitely, that's that's one you should take the time to watch. Yeah, yeah, and uh, maybe it's up for a while because not all the panels are up. They're pulling some of them down and they're keeping some up. Um, but maybe because Fantasia is eighty years old and and Fantasia two thousand is twenty years old this year, so maybe they're keeping them up to celebrate their anniversary. But uh, it, I thought it was outstanding. Yep. I mean, it, it was terrific. Then. The next one was Star Wars Galaxy Edge Storytelling Through Merchandise. And, okay, Mark Daniel is the host. Mark Daniel got on my nerves. I, I don't know. Who is he? I, oh, actually, later on, because he hosted another panel where he got on my nerves, and I did note down what he does. Yeah. But, well, oh, my gosh. See, you don't... You don't re- I don't want to say it in this way. You don't deal with him being on your coast, but... Mark is one of the um, he's one of the go to MCs for any of the uh, any anything special that's happening at Walt Disney World and like uh, back when Disney Parks blog would do the live streams before they've had to you know shut that down because of the state that the world is in like he would be the co-host of the live streams with uh, Jen Fickley Baker. Uh, for for the stuff on our coast, um, a- anytime there'd be a special special event where they needed someone to moderate a panel, he would be the person doing it. Uh, he's done Star Wars Celebration. He's uh, done done other events where he is, you know, he's the hype up person that gets everyone excited. Uh, he even, uh, you know, sometimes you could even find him. Uh, off, off on the planet Batu itself, and helping, helping those who come through Savi's workshop, and and he can assist people in there too. So he is just he's he does everything in terms of it being uh, being an entertainment personality in Orlando, and uh, you know it's he he's just the go to person. So we we see him on this coast all the time. But yeah, a lot of a lot. I'm sure a lot of people in California were just getting to to see him for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, or some of the first times if they didn't watch a lot of like the Disney Parks blog live streams and such. Yeah, well, anyway, a little of him goes a long way for me. And then and then okay, bright suns, everyone. Where did that come from? Because they kept saying it over and over again. Bright Suns is the way to say good morning on Batu or ah. good morning, hello in in that way. So that okay. was. Did you not keep? Did you not keep uh, uh, track of all the different sayings that we had to learn before visiting Batu? The same way we had to learn all the sayings on on Pandora, like Savako and such. No. no, Savako sounds like some sort of strange Eastern European dish oh, you would have during the holidays. It could be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I mean, if you played a drinking game with how many times they said bright suns, everyone, I wouldn't have gotten through this panel, <laughs> um, but without falling out of my chair. Anyway, 
This was all about how merchandising extends the story and experience. And, you know, bless their hearts. They were so enthusiastic about everything that went into creating the stalls at Galaxy's Edge and the costumes and how the folds go just the right way and all the little all the little 3D models and all that that they created and all the little stuffed critters and all that. But this did not hold my interest. This was just a giant merchandising commercial. And, uh, you know, it good for them. Yeah, it's but <laughs> you're absolutely right. It was a new commercial. They had uh, they had some special stuff coming out. So you know, a couple a couple new plushes heading to um, heading to the Toydarian store. They had the Boba Fett one and uh, Maz Kanata. You know, they they have a new creature that's going to be coming out that you can find in the creature stall, uh, new legacy lightsabers, and as well as being able to get them online very soon. So they, they wanted to get that promotion out, but they felt instead of just coming out and making it a promotion like that, that they needed to also go into some of the backstory that people might not have already known. And you know what? I'm all for that, except they... like. The, the, one of the people on the panel, I apologize. I don't remember his name, but he was one of the people in merchandising that I interviewed in Disneyland when Galaxy's Edge opened and got basically names. Yeah. I got (laughs) basically the same rundown that Uh he gave me out there. The difference was I got it all in a nice compact, uh, three minutes versus what it ended up being stretched to in a format like this. I felt like this panel that I hope we don't talk about for too much longer, just for our sanity. Uh, but I feel like this was something that would, would have been super interesting right when the lands opened, but it almost felt like it was a shoe in later now because they really do want to push that you can find some stuff online. There's new merchandise that's going to continually come into the land, which was, you know, not necessarily something that was promoted too heavily before. And, and, you know, it's just galaxy's edge merchandising will continue on. It's not going anywhere. And I feel like that's all it was for. It just didn't feel timely uh, for right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thrilled when they said till the, till the spire, (laughs) <laughs> Which means goodbye, and I, yeah, so long, gang. <laughs> you, know, you know, don't let the spire hit you as you walk out of the yes. land. <laughs> um, anyway, and that that was the end of that day. <laughs> so, oh well, and yeah, you know, I have their names written down, but you know, I'm I am not going to share them because I I think I've embarrassed them enough. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay. On November 17th, then, there, it's, it started out with Marvel 616 uncovered. And I think in a previous episode, did you? No, you didn't know what it meant. I learned what it meant. So did I. 616. So I had no idea. And this is about a new docuseries on Disney Plus, and they had, um, Sarah Amos, John Sturman, I think. Um, they had the executive producers and directors, Clay Jester and Brian Oaks on there. And they showed a trailer for it. And basically, it's a docu-series that's an anthology series. There's eight episodes and a standalone topic, something for everyone. Real-life true stories, nonfiction storytelling, history, legacy, fans. And what I learned is, 
Earth 616 is the classic Earth in the multiverse, which is sort of hard for me to wrap my head around. And it's where the classic characters, I think it's the characters I grew up with, in in the comics live in their own true world, which is why they called it Marvel 616. Exactly. Although I don't know what the numbers, why those numbers are relevant. Did they say that? Um, I don't know if I heard it in the panel. I've, I have heard more about it just because uh, a lot of, there's been a couple celebrities that actually directed episodes for it. And I've heard on separate uh, things outside of this panel, but on like other podcasts and stuff, I've heard them talk and promote it and, and explain more about how, how all the different um, planets have numbers assigned to them, especially once you start getting in different universes. So I, I understand it a little bit more, but you know, it's, it's how i'm sure people feel about me when i go off on like star wars lore and stuff it's at the end of the day this crap is all just made up well yeah of course i mean everything's made up yeah Um, made up by the biggest nerds who have way too much time yeah so i guess one episode is on the comic books and they they went into a lot of that how they weren't in comic into comic books anywhere, but how they got into it they did do it a lot into that they did there's another episode that's on Japanese the lost Japanese Spider Man so I guess they found him yes this is uh this is the first episode so if you do want to watch it in order instead of bouncing around this is the first one you're going to watch and this episode this had me hooked into the show i i still haven't finished it at this point because a lot of these episodes are they're right around the hour mark so it's um it's you know it's a time investment in but i i just put it on because i'm like i'll give it one episode and if i can't get involved then i'm I'll, i'll maybe watch bits and pieces of it over like the course of a year and I was captivated by the story behind how they literally, you know, a a, a person wanted to get Marvel more involved in Japan because of how popular manga is over there, Mm -hmm. uh, their version of, of comics, and Marvel couldn't crack it over there. And he saw an opening with Spider Man. And so they turn it into a live action show that is done like all with practical effects that seem ridiculously dangerous and they go into that but just talking about how it was like shooting it at the time how how they brought spider-man over there and the legacy with it and it's just i i was moved at the end of it um it's really really well done and then the second episode uh goes into then uh women in marvel and i again just hooked right through this it's it is good documentaries. It's really well made. Oh, good. Yeah, that was Women of Marvel in a Workplace. I think there's another one on the Marvel Spotlight program that provides productions for high school um, theatrical you know, productions. Uh, I guess there's another one on the toys of Marvel and the toy industry. And then there's the lost characters of Marvel's past that's supposedly supposed to be hilarious. Yes, they said. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, me too. And then the cosplay community. And um, that one of these episodes has become controversial in online, I've seen. And it's the comic book one. Because there's some people in the comic book industry who believe that. Because apparently it goes into how intense there is. And there's writer's blocks and deadlines and all that. But they say they throw somebody under the bus. 
in this one because he doesn't meet deadlines and he doesn't work well with others and all this kind of stuff. And I think he's like the center of the episode is if what I'm seeing on the internet is correct. Yeah. And people are finding this sort of hilarious and they're wondering, was this done on purpose (laughs) to sort of get back at this person? Is this some, some sort of revenge? Yeah, I'm interested in this because I told you before we kind of went over this a little bit, but I haven't heard about the controversy uh, with this episode yet. So I'm, I, I think before I go and start looking it up too much and see what people are saying, I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to watch the episode first and see what my takeaway is, and then then compare it to what people are saying on the internet. Okay. Yeah, so I'm like I do want to watch this series. There's there's so many others I want to watch too, but this is one. That, so I found this somewhat interesting. Yeah, I didn't. So, I didn't care for the panel itself. I was bored. I I'll be honest. I didn't make it all the way through it. But the documentary series I feel like is is so well made that I, I've talked about it before. I love the Marvel movies. I'm not a comic guy uh, by any stretch of the imagination of it, but I can. I can get into any documentary as well, as long as it's a good story being told. And I feel like that's what they, at least the first three episodes I've watched of, uh, 616, I feel like that's, that's what they've, they've done. They've just, they found way to tell captivating stories. It just so happens that it's based around Marvel. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm learning a ton through it. So I highly, highly recommend the show. Oh, good. Okay. Well, and then this was Marvel Day. So it was, uh, the next panel you told me you really enjoyed mm-hmm. was Marvel Comics celebrates 80 years of Captain America. And Captain America is my favorite Avenger. So I also enjoyed this. So what did you like about this panel? I, I like that I just got this great overview of a hero that i i felt like i understood him before from the movies but i truly didn't know about the backstory and not that i don't i don't think you needed to know any of the backstory of him in the comics to really appreciate uh, all of the marvel movies but at the same time it it kind of it makes sense one of the things uh, as much as i like captain america i will be honest the first avenger is one of my least favorite MCU movies. I think it's garbage. I I love World War II movies. I love war movies in general, but I hate everything about the tone of that movie. Uh-huh. And okay. it drives me nuts. I just I cannot I cannot stand it at all. It's just it's over the top in every way. And I knew that, you know, that that had a pretty good reflection though on kind of like early captain america when when he debuted in that time period and they they go into that on the episode and talk about his his roots and it kind of explains more but uh after that like with with winter soldier and civil war and beyond in the avengers movie i ended up loving captain america uh, became became probably just just like you my favorite avenger for everything past that but uh it's so so then to hear about you know how he disappeared for a while in the comics mm-hmm. before being reintroduced and then how they they tackled a lot of what was happening in the world through through his stories and like that in the introduction of falcon into the story uh because of what was happening in the world like i just 
you know, I, I've always known that comic books do look at what's happening in the world and, and play a reflection on that. But like through Captain America, I feel like that was next level. Uh, well done with how they tried to tie everything constantly into that character. And so I just, I, I, I left it learning way more than, than I had ever known about Captain America before. And it, very much like the 616 series, this, this panel, while the first like 15 minutes were a bit dry for me, once it got going in the story, it just felt like, like they were telling a really good story that could captivate me. And it just so happened that the subject was Captain America in, in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was familiar with the Captain America of the 60s because that's when I read comic books. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped reading them in the 70s when I was in high school and all that. And you're right. I was fascinated how in the 70s, yeah, they had to deal with – and in the, in the late 60s, they had to deal with the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And and that's when they brought in, you know, um, the Falcon and um, to keep Captain America and Marvel superheroes relevant – and, um, you know, because, you know, Captain America was sort of struggling about the war and dealing with it and all that. And then, and you're right, then they, um, you know, then, then they had him deal with the Watergate hearings yeah. and all that, how the president was a villain in one of the comic strips and all that. And then, uh, and then how, it was, then he becomes, you know, Bucky sort of comes and goes. And then, uh, you know, Steve Rogers becomes a nomad, a man with no country. And, um, and then, and so someone else steps into the role of Captain America, Roscoe, and, you know, but he's killed off by the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, and then, um, Steve Rogers returns as Captain America. And then, and then, uh, and then how, then they get into how he becomes part of, it's, uh, um, he, at one point in the 80s, he gets a job drawing Captain America comic books. <laughs> Steve Rogers. And I thought, okay, that's hilarious. Yeah, that that was that was funny. I, I yeah. love that. But then also how they how they then you know Steve Rogers goes and then other people step into the Captain America role and and then you know he deals with 9/11 and then he and then how Bucky is brought back as the Winter Soldier. And I just found it all fascinating. And that's where then the films start mirroring the comics a lot and all that. And then Steve Rogers comes back again. He comes and goes and all that. And, um, so it's, so it's interesting. So, um, and now, of course, we'll find out, you know, in in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who's going to become Captain America Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. again. So, um, and they said 2021 is Captain America's 80th anniversary. And so it's going to be the year of the shield. So there's going to be a year long celebration. Yeah. So that'd be, so that, that, so I thought Tuesday was a pretty good day. Yeah. So I, Tuesday the 17th. It took me again. I, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with the, the first panel, but the, Captain Captain America one, I think ultimately, uh, when all was said and done, that was my second favorite mm-hmm. panel, and another one that I thought was is to to go back and watch it. It's a it's a musty. Yeah, I love how they just kept bringing Captain America back. They didn't give up on him. You know, I really like that. A true American story. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, Wednesday the eighteenth. Uh, this, of course, is Mickey and Minnie's birthday. So everything revolved around that. This was the first of two um, gold member exclusive 
events that they had. So the the gold member exclusive event was globe trotting with Mickey Mouse and the Walt Disney archives. And you know, I I was really hoping this was going to be something that would capture my attention. Mm. And what it was, it, it it was interesting in the sense that, you know, they had people from the archives there and the digitization folks, how basically everything in the archives are digitizing so that they can be viewed, you know, 3D online and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. I'm glad they're doing that. And it, and I find that fascinating. And I, I'm hoping then it means that it's going to be more accessible to the public. I wish it'd make an online archives. Yeah. Then that we could go into and look at some of this stuff. I would love it for research purposes. But um, anyway, so, but then it sort of went through, there, there was some history stuff in here, but it went through, what were the favorite things? These are a few of my favorite things, was the theme. And it was all, what were their favorite things that they digitized? And I thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the stuff was things that we had seen in person on display at various D23 expos or um, Destination D events. Yes. You know, like the John Hench official portraits, you know, was one of them. And it went into that. And I thought that was something that they had really gone into. And was it the last Destination D event was the whole portrait? Yes. Thing? Yeah, that was that was a big portion of it. Yeah, and and they had the the Mickey Mouse review, you know, the figure from that. Well, we'd seen that also at I think a D twenty three Expo event. Uh, anyway, I don't know. This just didn't grab me. This one. What about you, Craig? Yeah, it didn't grab me either because I feel like uh, a lot of the information. Is just if you if you are involved in D twenty three and you you read the the magazines you've been to Destination D you've been to Expos before then a lot of this stuff uh, pretty much all of it was stuff you have already been uh, enveloped in over the past couple of years especially over Mickey's ninetieth so it felt like it was a good recap if you might have missed out on a whole bunch of stuff but if you're if you're on our level if you're the if you're the type of person who's traveling to go to these events, then chances are you pretty much knew everything. Uh, the one thing I will say, and uh, I'll need your help on it because I mm-hmm. am, I'm, names are not agreeing with me tonight. But uh, the the last um, the last person they got to uh, talk on on this panel, I want to say Kevin, maybe Kevin, Kevin? yeah, Kevin Kern. Yes. he's the research manager and. Kevin, we, I think the first time I got to, uh, I got to hear from him was at Destination D in, uh, during the year with Mickey. And I remember him, you know, kind of like blowing me away with his enthusiasm and passion. And I feel like he did the exact same thing on this panel. It, it was, it, you know, a lot of the same information again that we've already heard, but his enthusiasm for discussing it and, and talking about it and sharing it, it, it was captivating. 
So mm-hmm. I did enjoy hearing from him. I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch him on, on, on panels and expos as the years go on. He just, you, you can tell that he eats, breathes, lives Disney and he loves us so much, just like us. And, you know, ultimately sometimes that's all you need for the, that's all you need for the sale is someone who just cares about it as much as you do. So I, I enjoyed him at the end, but the information, I didn't get a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and then the second one was a celebrate Mickey and Minnie on their birthday. Um, Mark, Mark Daniel was back, <laughs> and, um, and um, this is Mickey and Minnie's um, Runaway Railway, basically. So they had the lead Imagineer Kevin Rafferty, and he was the executive creative Imagineer, and um, and he and again, this was information I've heard before but it was basically most of it was on creating the runaway railway and i don't know if it's i heard this back at d23 or i've i've seen other panels on runaway railway lately so i'm not sure but you know they talk about how the inspiration came from a new series of the you know the mickey mouse cartoon shorts that i am not a fan of and um and so and those are, and, and also from the scenic illusion group and Imagineering. And that was the part I was really interested in. I wanted to learn more about the scenic illusion group because we're seeing more and more of their work pop up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, you know, they talked about how the locomotives needed to look like they were hand drawn and behave like a train that you, that you've never seen before kind of thing and you know we all we have all heard you know they they went old school with the audio design they used jimmy mcdonald's gadgets and all of that you know and again we all know they used the whistle from steamboat willie for yep. the train whistle which is terrific and all of that they uh they they talked about some of the little uh i don't know easter eggs in there like um the 1401 flower shop in the city scene that's the address of imagineering so there's lots of nods to mickey mouse history in there but everything moves so fast i don't know how much you can um you can pick up they said in the carnival scene there's a poster of a potato land short that um is a virtual, you know, and then they did a virtual ride through with um, Kevin Rafferty sort of explaining it all. And, you know, some interesting thing is, you know, red does, you know, the, the colors had to look good in the attraction, both under um, UV light as well as, um, you know, regular light. Mm-hmm. And all that standard light, and so they had to create certain. They had to create colors that would work in there. Like they said, red apparently doesn't look red under UV light. It looks orange or something. So they had to create a new shade of red, so it would look red both under standard light and UV light, and all that. So they said that. Um, they said it was almost like riding through a multiplane camera. When you go through distraction, I've not been on it, but you have, Craig. Yeah, it's, uh, so. you know, it's, that's being a little generous for it. I love the attraction for how uh-huh. adorable it is and just how fun it is. But, uh, you know, it's uh, they, they're definitely using some liberties with with how uh, how uh, deep of the effects there are. It's um, 
it's a little flatter than they they try to lead on with a lot of the speak but you know what they're not going to they're not going to come out and be like you know what we we knocked it out of the park it's kind of flat and it's a lot of projections but you're going to love it like they're, they're not yeah. going to sell themselves short that's that's not happening <laughs> yeah and then they said in the carnival scene mickey says hot dog and that was his first words that he ever said you know, in the Mickey Mouse shorts. And in every scene, they talk about how Mickey Minnie almost catch us, but something goes wrong. Yep. And um, and they said half the team was based in Florida, Imagineers. Then they did a promo for the McDonald's Happy Meals and the Mickey and Minnie Runaway um, toys that represent 10 attractions of Walt Disney World. And each toy has a... Um, Oh, what did I write? Has a, oh, it has a, a Mickey game ticket. That's a contest for Walt Disney World trip for four. And apparently, that's the glitch. Yeah. In this, because they've been pulled. <laughs> yeah, and that's so. what I was going to say. I believe this. Um, this is one of the panels that was not available by the time that I sat down to start watching them all. And as soon as you mm-hmm. told me that. It's because they, well, as soon as you told me that they talked about the Happy Meal toys in there, I have a feeling that they pulled it because they are, they're trying to, you know, try to figure this whole situation out because the toys were pulled. Some people were saying that the, the sweepstakes entry was saying like that you had to, to apply for it by August 31st of this year. Yeah, that's what I'd heard. You know, some, I think it was WDW News Today said the QR code was sending people to uh, a website that had nothing to do with, um, with the sweepstakes or anything. And, um, even, even some weird stuff was happening where like people went to get the toys and like there was just no toy in the box. Like <laughs> they just didn't have them and they weren't even telling people that they oh, didn't have them terrible. and they weren't giving them different toys. So it's been, it's been, I mean, of course we're going to make it seem like it's a bigger mess than, than it probably has been, but you know, it's, they did get, they got pulled and, and they're gone for the time being, but, uh, they'll, they'll be back when they get it all figured out. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you think someone would have, uh, figured out, you know, tested yeah. those little, codes and say oh you know what this doesn't work seems like there's oh, well. a job for that yeah yeah you know quality control maybe <laughs> they all got laid off or something Ooh, so. yeah <laughs> anyway all right uh, then they did a promotion for the wonderful world of mickey mouse series on disney plus i've watched the first three episodes and i didn't hate them i said oh because of the cheese one the cheese wrangler or that whatever was that was just stupid it was hilarious <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> I don't understand it at all, but I like the other two that I've seen. Yeah, there's and, there's um, four out as of right now. When this episode is released, there will be six total. So uh, okay. I I enjoy I enjoy them all. I think that obviously the 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 showstopper was the episode two that it took place in uh, Monsanto's House of the Future. Which yes, yeah, you know that, that's the one. That's the one that was supposed to be the preview on that on Saturday, the twenty first, and it was supposed to be oh, this is a special one for members. And then it, when I saw it, I thought I just watched this on Disney Plus. How weird! <laughs> so I so I don't know what happened there. So um, wires must have got crossed somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was a good one. That's the best yeah. out of the three that Agreed. I've seen. 
So, okay. Then they did a promotion for Mickey and Friends Giving, and it's six pizzas by celebrity chef. Is it Roy Choi? Is that mm-hmm. his name? And you can pre-order them on November twenty-first. Have you pre-ordered any pizzas, Craig? Um, I didn't. They were only available in select areas, I believe. But yeah. But, and then they had finally Brett Iwan on the voice of Mickey because he designed special ears for Mickey Mouse with lights and sounds and that was being released the next day on the 19th mm-hmm. for his sale. And so he said his role with Mickey, you know, in, was inspired by vintage, um, recording equipment. So the ears are microphone speakers and there's a little on air that lights up and it's, and it speaks as well. I think it says, Oh boy. Yeah. I thought I should have said hot dog. <laughs> Mickey's first words. But it works better. My opinion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um anyway, but on um anyway, so it's in and November eighteenth, nineteen twenty eight is embossed on um one side of the ears. Yeah. So anyway, so that those went out on the nineteenth. I didn't look to see I assume they were on Shop Disney. I didn't look to see if um how much they were. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see either. I, but I, I made the decision a long time ago to stop collecting Mickey ears. I got too many, and I don't know what to do with any of them. And I yeah, don't I wear any of them. I have a lot. I wear the holiday ones, like the Christmas ones and stuff like that. When I go to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and all that. Anyway, so that was it on the 18th. Then there's the 19th, and. um Anyway, so this, this was about Walt Disney World. And cause you know, it's 50th anniversary is coming up. So this was, uh, the first one was Walt Disney World Destination Tomorrow. And it was hosted by Walt Disney World ambassador Stephen Lim. We, we know him out here as well. Mm-hmm. We know Stephen. He's, a, I think he's a friend of the Diz. And, uh, at least he's a, he was a friend of the Disneyland show, the old Disneyland show. And they showed, they started out by showing a clip of the, there's a, a great big beautiful tomorrow, the GE promotion with the Sherman brothers and Walt Disney for the Carousel of Progress. Mm-hmm. And then, um, th- then, it, then it went on about, there are all these guests testimonials from September 2020. And it was all about how, um, how people plan and create a magical trip to Walt Disney World and the the excitement begins and you decide you're going to Walt Disney World and you're in Disney mode and you create those spreadsheets and all that. And then it went to the the Plan Disney group. And there were all these Plan Disney panelists and they basically had tips for how you can plan to go to, to Disney parks and you know how they research trips and how they create little countdowns and reveals to their family. And one of them makes masks and one of them likes to go Disney bond bounding and all of that. And I thought, well, that's nice. (laughs) And, um, none of them, none of them really captured my attention with this. And, um, then, and then, uh, then they talked about how to plan an itinerary. 
And they brought in some people from different travel agencies, and I was quite stunned. I almost dropped my mint julep, as uh, our friend Rhino might say, because our own John Magi from Dreams Unlimited Travel, who sponsors this show, was one of the people on there. Yeah, and I, I didn't even know about it either. He didn't tell any of us. I'm sure Kevin knew, but that's it. Yeah. So they had people from various uh, places, these various agencies, uh, and about how, to, and it, so how to create a magical moment. And a lot of them sort of repeated what the other people had said, create countdown calendars and, or, or how, how, excited they are when they can plan for a family, especially like one of them had planned for a um, family of four with a child with special needs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so th- there were just, there was some really nice things. And um, and then I thought John's, and, and it's, and maybe I'm biased, I thought his was really nice. What he said is, you don't, don't go looking for the magic, but let it find you. Um, everything you see is truly magical. He said, so take the time to sit down and sort of take in the magic. Let it just like come over you instead of rushing from, you know, activity, you know, attraction to attraction. And I, I, and I think that's just so true. People forget to just stop and enjoy where they're at and yeah. see what's going on around them and take in the details. Yep. And all that. Yeah, no, so. it was, uh, he did a great job with that. And it was mm-hmm. a very confusing panel. I, I don't know who it was, uh, trying to, trying to reach out to in this. It, I, it just kind of, uh, one of the many times, uh, with these panels that I, I was just left scratching my head over not really understanding the, the point of it. But, you know, I, I do think that it was, it was awesome that, the dreams on unlimited travel was a part of it in that way, uh, having John represent uh, the company, but just, you know, promoting travel agencies in general, because Disney, Disney doesn't have to do that. And, but at the same time, especially as we've seen over the past nine months with everything that's happened, uh, having a travel agent work on behalf of you is can really really be useful especially when the world turns upside down and you know it's that we don't really get into that a lot on this show because it's just you know they sponsor us but it's not it's not as impactful as as on some of the other shows on the the podcast network but but it's not you know it's not a a thing that people still use widely is Disney travel agencies. And, you know, a lot of them like dreams. It's no extra cost. It's then they work Mm -hmm. to get you the lowest cost, uh, not because it benefits them more. I mean, it takes money out of their pockets, but it ultimately leaves you with more money to plan the next trip. And hopefully you enjoyed working with dreams and you'll want to use them again. And so I, I did appreciate the panel for pointing out uh, agencies, you know, cause that's, that's where, that's why we're able to do the things we're able to do. And so it, it made me very proud that, that mm-hmm. Disney uh, does clearly have an appreciation for us. But uh, overall, yeah, I was scratching my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it did introduce a new campaign, Mickey Yellow Shoes slash Disney Magic Moments, um, how they want to show, want to share Disney with guests when they couldn't visit. And so, uh, 
they had a, a special extended version of the spot with real families in their real homes, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it was, um, Epcot, the magic of possibility. And the host was ambassador Marilyn West. And th- this basically was, all up, and then they had other folks in here. Um, Zach Ridley, uh, Imagineer, Imagineering Portfolio Executive for Epcot and Walt Disney World. Melissa Valaquet, uh, Vice President of Epcot. I don't know if that's how you say her name. And then Pixar's, um, Roger Gold, um, Harley Jessup, Tom Fitzgerald, uh, and they talked about Remy's Ratatouille adventure. And, um, anyway, they talked about the, Historic transformation of Epcot. Zach and Melissa got into that, and um, and 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 so they just, you know, Melissa said Epcot represents that spirit of optimism and possibilities, the best of our world, and it might be the first time people are exposed to international lands and new ideas. And again, she said it's the the magic of possibilities combined with the magic of Disney. And all that. And then, um, let's see. So, and for Zach, it says, he said, Epcot is the park that inspires the dreamer and all of us. It has a bold sense of design. And then it inspired him to become an architect and an imagineer. So that, so they talked about, you know, some of the stuff we've already heard about, you know, the four new neighborhoods. And, um, let's see. They talked about, you know, some of the stuff that already is open, like the Epcot experience at the Odyssey, um, Awesome Planet, um, Canada Far and Wide, the Beauty and the Beast Sing Along, and the, the new entrance that's coming up. And they talked about the, the color palettes they're using in the different areas and a new design. Um, they said colors are the inspiration and they, and it starts with the ticket booth. Um, and their new design and how they're more vibrant and shows the vibrancy in Epcot, uh, vibrancy and energy that Epcot has. And I guess they've updated the Epcot font and they're using it in signs around the park. Yes. Yep. And it's all, all over the place now, which is, uh, feels, feels like a old, old familiar, uh, mm-hmm. sense when you're in there that haven't felt in a long time. Yeah, and they want the new designs and colors of the park to be bold and distinctly Epcot. And then they talked about those pylons, you know, for the new fountains. Mm-hmm. They go ba- and they talked about how they go back to the opening day of the park, and it's going to have new lighting design with custom programming to create a unique evening moment. Yeah, as they said, it's a, we're all just waiting for those construction walls to come down around them at this point, yeah. so we can actually <laughs> see them the way they're intended to be seen. Yeah. And then, and then they, you know, they, they showed photos that we've seen online of the Guardians of the Galaxy cosmic rewind, um, cars. Yeah. And there, and they, they said everybody's wondering about the Space 220 restaurant. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yes. And they, they just said it's progressing. Yeah. <laughs> and that was about all they talked about. They talked about, um, you know, harmonious, celebrate Disney stories connecting people around the world. And um, and I guess what's cool is, you know, they're going to have these five platforms with LED arches and arms. And during the day, they're going to be water fountains. And at night, 
they're going to come alive. And I thought that would look pretty to have water fountains. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was originally intended to be that way, but uh, I I also have not been in the nitty gritty with it, following every little uh, every little detail and rumor surrounding this show. But it's you know I if if everything has to stay out here and they're finding a way to make the best of it, then I'm okay with that. I I like a good daytime fountain show like i I like uh, universal does it over at universal studios florida and you know i I feel like i remember seeing that at uh in california adventure in the daytime every now and then seeing some fountains even if they're low pop up i just fountains help make everything interesting Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and and it gives it kinetics and movement and, and all that which is really nice yes that's what I meant to say. You said it much, yeah. uh, much more eloquently than I did. Oh well, I don't know. <laughs> and then they talked about Ratatouille's Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. Everybody's just going to call it Ratatouille, you know. Uh-huh. And it's opening in 2021, along with the the crepe restaurant. And they said this is going to be a game changer. And then we got uh, Tom Fitzgerald, Roger Gould, Harley Jessup in there. And you and I have both been on it at Disneyland Paris. And yes. What do you think of the attraction? I I do really enjoy this attraction. I think, uh, you know, I, I make jokes that I was lucky enough to experience Armageddon. So uh, it's I feel <laughs> like Ratatouille was definitely the second best attraction I got to experience uh, after after uh, after Armageddon. That was the first. And uh Hopefully, if if you've experienced them, and you can feel my sarcasm on it because uh, that was mm-hmm. a terrible, terrible attraction. But I, here's where I don't want to sound pessimistic because I really, really do love. Uh, I, I love Ratatouille. I, I I am a fan of the movie. Have been since the day it came out, and I saw it on opening day in theaters. But the attraction was a game changer when it to me when it debuted in in Paris. And I wasn't there. I just saw it for the first time when, when I went, uh, to, to Paris back in 2018. But it, since then, you know, it's, it's SeaWorld, I think it was the first time I, I rode a, a trackless ride system that was pretty much the same as that. And then having Rise of the Resistance debut here and now, uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, I think. Ratatouille is kind of the weakest of the ones that I've experienced with Disney utilizing trackless technology in this way. And it definitely, I don't want to say lazy, but there are a lot of big screens and big open rooms, stuff that people criticize Universal relentlessly for, saying that it's all just screens. And that's a lot of what Ratatouille is. It's There are Mm -hmm. some real sets around there. Uh, They're not nearly as seamless into the screens as Disney tries to make it out to be. Uh, but in, in some occasions there are, but others there aren't, but it's, it's a screen screen heavy ride for sure. So I think if it would have debuted first and then runaway railway and then rise of the resistance that we would have saw the climb to perfection in Walt Disney world. But I, I think people are going to love it for what it is for it being Ratatouille and really helping out Epcot. But it's just, it's not on the same level as, as, as Rise of the Resistance or Runaway Railway. And I know someone, Pete's going to yell at me down the line here and say it was never supposed to be. But, you know, it's, we can only compare those attractions to what 
other similar attractions are out there. And uh, it's that we can't just judge everything, you know, on its own necessarily if we're talking about comparing and contrasting. So I hope people enjoy it. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who who do leave saying, I didn't really expect so many screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, yeah, I, I love the attraction. I just I, th- I can't. I think I lost track of how many times I went on it. They said that the differences, um, there's some differences and it's very similar to Paris, the Paris version, but the environment that it's in is very different. So in the film, you're in Remy's Paris and they said that's the world that they wanted to create. So the marquee is designed by Harley and it's unique to Epcot. They do have the fountain with the rat design. Mm-hmm. That I thought was very it's clever very beautiful. in Paris, yeah. and that's there. Um, there's details in the shop facades that are nods to the film, so it gives us all something to look for. And there's a canopy that's sort of the entrance to this. They say this is like a whole land because they have the the crepe shop and then the attraction. I thought that's a bit of a stretch, but um, it's definitely an area. And, um, but there's a canopy from a French marketplace that was cut from the film. And so this was built at Epcot is like the entrance, like a transition from the real architecture, uh, in Epcot to the sort of crooked architecture of Remy's. There's a, said there's a sense of sculpture and handmade where things are askew and irregular. So, um, anyway, so, so it's, um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. They said they made the food that's in the attraction at the Luxo Cafe up at Pixar, photographed them, reduced them, and put them into the attraction. So, um, so anyway, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this opening. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to ride it again. I, I wrote it probably, I think four or five times. I, I just kept doing single rider over and over again. And, uh, I, Again, it's a great representation of the movie, and I think it will be a perfect addition to Epcot. It, it will fit in so seamlessly there and provide that park with with more entertainment and, and more fun for families. But uh, for for people who ultimately then compare it to to the other marquee attractions that are utilizing this technology, I think they're gonna gonna be a little bit. Uh, a little bit sour, but then again, you know, Disney fans, you can never tell. It's they'll complain about screens over at Universal left and right, and then when Disney does it, it's 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 okay all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and there are some special effects in there. You feel in in the areas you're in as you go through Remy's, there there are definitely some effects that you feel mm-hmm. and experience and all that. So that's that's cool. But it doesn't end in a restaurant the way it does in Disneyland no. Paris, but. Which is too bad. They it's, really should have built that restaurant. Yeah, at least was, faked the restaurant that you could see through the class into there. You know, it didn't need to be a real working restaurant. Just I we, don't know. I they, should have, they should have built the real working restaurant because it was very clever, yeah, I it, thought. It is. But there is the creperie there where guests can en- be, enjoy sweet and savory treats. Yeah. And that's so. that's going to be a welcome addition. I think it really just comes down to it would have been great to have the restaurant, but can they really justify having three full service restaurants in France? Uh, they're already now having two quick services: one with the creperie and then the uh, the bakery in the back, mm-hmm. and then also having three different stands. 
you know, the, the fancy ice cream and then another ice cream stand out inside. And then the one with, uh, the one with the gray goose slushies and stuff like there. France is packed to the brim with stuff. And now it they're going to have two attractions <laughs> inside there too. Like uh, just so much. Just shows how passionate they are for food mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all that and celebrate the senses in Paris. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally we get to the last day and this is, uh, this was this quick little video. D23 presents five facts. Toy Story. Well, I guess they didn't have five facts because it glitched after the fourth one. And, um, so, and then they took it down. <laughs> so they never like fixed it and put it back up again. And this was to celebrate Toy Story's, you know, 25th anniversary. And so the first fact, Tin Toy, the little toy in there was an, that was an inspiration for Toy Story and it appeared in Toy Story 4. Um, Buzz Lightyear went through many changes. Fun fact number two. Fun fa- Buzz Lightyear went through many changes during his design process. He went from being, uh, yeah, oh, I don't know, being, no, I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> For, um, oh, he went from being, um, uh, he, he, I don't know, he, he sort of morphed to, from, to Lunar Larry and, um, it was like, I said, I wrote Tempest. I don't know what that was from, and, and anyway, um, and it, his spacesuit was red at one point. And so he, before Woody, uh, he was a ventriloquist during, um, a ventriloquist named Dummy. Uh, and so, and then in the early renderings, you can see his mouth moving like a ventriloquist's dummy. And then early when, in an, and there's an early drawing of, the dummy version of Woody hanging on a wall in Andy's room. Although it looks like a caricature of Andy to me, but mm. they said that's, that's Woody as a ventriloquist dummy. The fourth one, the books in Andy's room are named after Pixar shorts. Uh, Sid's backpack, um, in Sid's backpack, there's a reference to the film's editor, um, Julie McDonald. Uh, it says, and it says Julie McFarfel has cooties is written on it. And, um, anyway, and the egg, Eggman Movers is named after the art director, Ralph Eggman Eggleston. And then it glitched from there. So I don't even think they got through the fourth fun fact before it went out. So that was the end of that. <laughs> and yeah. I guess they felt it wasn't worth, uh, fixing it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think it was a stretch that any of those facts were fun, but. It's it's up for them to decide, I guess. It's fun for someone. Yeah. And then finally, the final event, if you don't count the Saturday cartoon that was already on Disney+, Plus, was um, another gold member exclusive, Creating Fantastic Worlds, A Journey into Disney um, World Building. And this is hosted by Justina Ireland, and she was an author. I guess an author of all kinds of Star Wars books. And this, oh my gosh, this was just, everybody loved each other in this one. There was a ton of people. Paul Felix, a production designer, um, at Walt Disney Animation. He worked on Tarzan, Lilo and Stitch, Bolt, Big Hero 6, um, Raya, and the new one that's coming out, Raya and the Last Dragon. 
Um, Noah Klocek was with Pixar for 15 years. He worked from Wally to onward. Um, Luke Maynard, um, has created a portfolio of, of vice president of Walt Disney Imagineering. And he's been with them for 20 years. He worked on Mission Space and the new Space Mountain for, um, for Disneyland Anaheim and Disneyland Paris. Uh, Treasure Cove at Shanghai Disneyland and the, the new Pirates of the Caribbean. Ryan Minerding, Vice President of Visual Development for Marvel Studios. He um, He's worked on all the Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, and Avenger films, and a whole lot more. Andy Park was the Director of Visual Development for Marvel Studios. He's been there 10 years. He worked on all the films, and and including Thor Ragnarok, WandaVision, a series that's coming out on Disney+, Plus, Shang-Chi, I, I don't know what that is yet, that's coming, Thor, Love and Thunder, and and even more. And then there's Mark Miller, executive creative producer for Lucasfilm and TLMX Lab, TLMX Lab, yeah. And they do immersive entertainment like virtual reality and stuff like that. He first worked on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. His most recent projects are Vader Immortal with Immoculus and Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. So a whole lot of people. And they went into how they create their places and new worlds. Um and there was there was just like a series of questions that they all just sort of answered. Um did you watch this panel, Craig? I did. Uh it was not it was not my favorite. Uh just mm-hmm. to to throw that out there. I I I do find this kind of uh stuff in interesting. I think as you've reiterated, there was a lot of people. I, I feel like maybe it would have been better if they would have just honed in on maybe two or three different stories and, and stuck with it uh, in that way. But they they wanted to represent all these different sides of the different companies. And, and ultimately, I feel like it suffered because of that. Like uh, the, the person representing Pixar, uh, like, just talk about a person who ultimately I feel like was on there, took up all this time and then couldn't say anything in a lot of regards, like especially with the final question, like, Oh, can you share anything you're working with us upcoming in the future? No. <laughs> they all said no. <laughs> yeah. And it, but the Pixar guy was like, no, like not even entertaining. It. It's like, uh, this was, it, it just, there was a lot of moments that felt awkward to me. And while I learned a little bit in it, I, I didn't learn anything that I felt warranted the time that I sat through that panel. Yeah, this was the longest one. I took the most notes on this because they did say a lot, but, you know, I didn't get a lot out of it, which is really funny. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think it was like too much. You're right. And a lot of them would just say, well, to say what Andy said. You know, I yes. agree with what Andy said. I agree. And so there was a lot of that going back and forth. It was sort of like the person that answered the question first, you know, sort of got, you know, a lot of people just sort of built on what they said. Yeah. Because a lot of the concepts when you're building these worlds, it doesn't matter what the, what the subject matter it is. You're, you're approaching it from the same perspective. 
So that's why I think that they probably just tried to approach it from too many sides because it's there's a theory behind it. And you have to work through the theory. And then depending on what the actual subject is, that changes because obviously a Marvel world is going to look different than a, a Star Wars world, which is going to look different from the world of, you know, what you see in Raya and The Last Dragon. It's all clearly going to be different, but you still have to have the same the same basis and foundation in in what do you need out of the world? How do you immerse people into the world? So I feel like that's ultimately why a lot didn't necessarily come from it. And while some of the presenters were very uh, passionate, uh, like the, the, the person who worked on the ILMX lab with uh, the VR projects, like hearing his enthusiasm about Vader Immortal and, and the Tales from Galaxy's Edge made me wish that uh, was specifically uh, Tales from Galaxy's Edge that I had an Oculus so I could go and jump into the world uh, of that video game. Uh, I think Vader Immortal is now available on like PlayStation with VR. So I, I need to try to pick that up. But yeah, it he, he sold me on it with the enthusiasm. But again, I just it, it seemed like a very a niche subject that would have worked well at a panel and a greater event about world building. Uh, maybe, maybe add a little bit more depth, not virtually, but it just, it, it fell flat for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was good. There were some things that were interesting, but, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, it was, it was just a little, it was too much and not enough at the same time. Really weird. Yeah, it's that's, <laughs> but that's the perfect way to describe it. It's, you know, very much like some people probably say about me and, and us on the show that sometimes we talk just to hear our own voices and, uh, and don't ultimately say anything worth value on there. You know, it's, it's everyone's afflicted by that, by that disease one day, even, even people on D23 panels just talking for the sake of talking. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, I found it interesting, like when Paul, when he talked about how they created for Big Hero 6 San Francisco, San Francisco, and, and how it was, you know, San Francisco's destroyed in the 1906 earthquake, and then, and it's largely rebuilt by Japanese immigrants. And, um, and so, so they took on this Japanese aesthetic and rebuilding the city. So it was familiar and different at the same time. The, I found that one really fascinating. And how when they did the research for Reina and the Last Dragon, how when they traveled to, um, some of the, like Cambodia and Laos and some of the places, how, how meaningful design is in people's lives. You yes, know, design right. of buildings and things like that. That was really fascinating. I agree. With and, that. and how that is, that's represented in the film. And he said, and if we had not done that, if we had not gone to those places and learned that from the people, the film would have looked very different. So, so th those were some of the things that were really interesting. They talked about their research trips, you know, to go all those exotic places. And the one fellow, was it Noah? He said, well, for Wally, we got to go to the dump. Yeah. And I think Noah missed every cool, um, 
research projects. He's always working on the one that was, you know, well, well, for the other fun, I forget what he's working on. We went to Los Angeles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and another guy said, oh, yeah, we always hear about how in animation you get to go on all these research trips. And he was the comic book guy. He says, yeah, our research trips are on our our lunch break. We go to the comic book store and (laughs) see what's there. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So, so there were some good moments in this, but, um, anyway, but so overall, I, I enjoyed this week of, of the D23 Fantastic World celebration. It's, they sort of sprung it on us. They just said, Hey, guess what we're doing next week? And they had this whole thing planned. And luckily I was taking the week off from work so I could attend it, um, easily. And, um, so overall, I-, I hope that, you know, they're going to do more of this kind of, um, these kind of events. What, overall, what did you think of it, Craig? I, I, I feel like it was a good first attempt in, in terms of what they were doing with this. I feel like they probably learned a lot and obviously they can look at, uh, they, they can look at the numbers for who, who watched these, uh, panels and what had the most uh you know what had the most engagement during the live panels and uh how how long people stuck with it on the rewatches and stuff they've got a lot of great they've got a lot of great information now that they don't necessarily get when they do panels at at some of the expos i mean obviously they look at how many people are in the room and you know they there's there what the people who are on the panel can see the people walking out to go use the bathroom and and leaving and not coming back so they kind of get those ideas and and in a nerdier sense yeah they're getting a lot of a lot of analytics from this one to sh- to show what people are truly interested in so i hope at the very least that if this is the start of something that uh, there are more virtual panels like this in the future i hope they they learn from what they they did this time around uh finding what what clicks the best what gets the best uh feedback overall uh seeing what what people just react to the best and so Mm -hmm. at the very least i think this was a pleasant test for them that at the end of the day yeah maybe some of them felt like i wasted an hour here and there but it's it for the most part is free content except those two panels that you had to be a gold member for and Mm -hmm. Other than that, it was just it's it's free and interesting, and so I can't really complain about that too much. Yeah, and they did send out surveys for the two gold member exclusive panels, and so I okay. filled those out. But within the survey, they asked you to rate just about all the other panels as well, and then they asked questions about what did you like about about. This event, what did you not like about it? Well, or, you know, additional comments and all that. So it was was nice that you could enter comments. Hopefully somebody's going to read them. Then the rest of it was the standard stuff. You know, why, what do you like about T23? And what do you value? And then there, they have those grids where you fill in the little radio, you know, the little bubbles about, you know, rating what's the value and all that stuff. And, would you join again based on this event? Would you, are you more likely to be a member and all of that? So they are, they are trying to, you know, figure out what did people think of this? So I'm hoping they're going to build on that 
and um, yeah. and I think they're for more like this. I, I think they're definitely looking at D twenty three as as a whole right now and seeing what they can do differently. Like, uh, it, honestly, a big sell for a lot of people with D twenty three is not the magazine per se. It is. You know, it's Expo and Destination D. That is that is a mm-hmm. huge sell of it. And in a year like this where plans got canceled, the Expo's now pushed back, they, they have to find ways to keep people engaged on wanting to be D23 members. And so, like, it was very interesting. The day that we're recording this, they announced the new, um, the yeah. new plan where there's now a D23 gold membership duo plan where uh, for the price of the gold family membership, you can have two people on the plan. They get two personalized certificates, two member cards, and access for each of those members to the gold member uh, exclusive experiences, shopping opportunities, and such. However, you only get one collector set and one subscription to the magazine. So... Uh, it's like it, they're apparently at some point in time they've done research that finds that this is something that people want, which I guess I can kind of see if if you have a person like that that isn't well, your spouse, yeah, a spouse. I, I could even see friends who are like, you know what, mm-hmm. I don't care about the magazine and I don't care, I don't need the stuff. I just want to know that I can have some of the benefits that come with being a gold member when it comes to like the expo and such. And, you know, if the other person's like, well, I want the magazine and I like, like keeping the boxes and all the, the special gifts that they send, then, you know, that's perfect for them. You know, I'll, I'll chip in $30 just to have the exclusive access to expo and, and such a, a cheaper ticket. So I, I guess there's, you know, there, there's lots of different ways to look at it, but uh, they're they're clearly trying to figure out how to continue D23 and during these crazy times. Mm-hmm. Oh, look forward to see what's coming up next. And actually, they've already announced what's coming up next. We'll talk about it after we take a virtual look back at this week in Disney history. Okay, well, here we are for the week of December 6th. All right, Craig, on December 6th, 2006, which Disney luminary did California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger? (laughs) Imagine we elected a television actor and movie star to be in politics. What a guess. I know. And First Lady Maria Shriver, Shriver inducted into the California Hall of Fame, located at the California Museum for History, Women, and the Arts. What? Well, I know is you said 2006? Mm-hmm. And who did they induct into this? Yes, who did they induct? I, I'm not sure. It was Walt Disney. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I would expect him to be in some sort of Hall of Fame like that, but it seems like 2006, unless it was founded in 2006, it seems like it, was, it took a little too long. It was very new. <laughs> okay, okay, that that explains it then. <laughs> yes, yes. So, okay. December 7th, the voice of Donald Duck for 50 years was born in Watonga, Oklahoma on December 7th, 1904. What is his name? Um, uh, 
Uh, Clarence Nash. That's right. Clarence Charles Ducky Nash. And his Donald Duck voice was achieved by what is called buccal speech, or buckle speech, I don't know, called a laryngeal form of vocalization, which uses the inner cheek to produce sound rather than the larynx. Um, Nash first discovered it while trying to mimic his pet goat, Mary. His first Disney credit was the animated short, The Wise Little Hen, which in which Donald made his debut in 1934. In addition to Donald's voice, this is what I always find interesting, is what else do they do? He voiced Donald's nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. He provided the Popeye-esque voice for the roughhouse statue in Pinocchio, the bullfrog creaking watch out, croaking watch out in Bambi, the meows of Figaro, the kitten, in a handful of shorts, and some dog sounds in 101 Dalmatians. The last film to feature Nash's famous Donald Duck voice was the 1983 Mickey's Christmas Carol. Although he continued to provide Donald's voice for commercials, promotions, and other miscellaneous material until his passing in 1985. That's amazing. He did, he did those voices and, and he was Figaro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sweet little meow. So much. Yeah. Okay. All right. December 8th, on December 8th, 1941, the day after the Pearl Harbor bombing, the U.S. Army has finished setting up camp at Walt Disney's Burbank studio for the repair of military vehicles and anti-aircraft guns and to use as a primary defense station to guard the nearby Lockheed plant against possible air attacks. That evening, Walt received a call from a Navy official offering the studio a contract for a series of films. What were the topics of the films? Um, I mean, about war and uh, mm-hmm. wartime preparation. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that right. A, it's okay. about <laughs> <laughs> right. It was about. Um, Aircraft and warship identification. Okay. So anyway, okay. I thought, boy, you know, I was amazed by how quickly the army moved in. I thought, you know, they must have had this plan all along. I mean, they sure did move fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the day of the bombing, <laughs> they move in. So um, anyway, okay. December 9th, Walt Disney Studio animators moved into their Riverside Drive building in Burbank on December 9th, 1994. What becomes the nickname of this building? Uh, the, the Hat. That's right. Yep. It's known as the Hat Building yep. because it features the large conical sorcerer's hat at the front entrance. And this beautiful new building at 2100 Riverside Drive helped soothe a decade of bad feelings by animators who've been working in industrial buildings miles away from the Walt Disney Studio in Glendale. Industrial buildings is probably a kind way. (laughs) (laughs) Portables, pretty much. Okay, December 10th, Chad Stewart, the voice of Flaps, one of the four sinking vultures in Walt Disney's 1967 animated film, The Jungle Book, is born in England on December 10th, 1941. Stewart may be best known as one half of what 1960s singing duo? Hmm, I don't think I know the answer to this. Oh, I remember them. Chad and Jeremy. 
no, I they they, yeah. they sang such great hits like um, "Willow Weep for Me" and "Summer Song." Oh, my favorites. Mm-hmm. There you go. They were more popular in the United States than they were in England. That's so, funny. Which yeah, is funny. I'm yeah. I'm not familiar with them, but I'll I'll look them up. Yeah, they they come on like I listen to Sirius, you know, radio. I listen to the '50s and '60s channels, and they come up every so often. Okay, good to know on this. Okay, December 11th, the Disneyland Pacific Hotel, formerly the Pan Pacific Hotel, opened in Anaheim on December 11th, 1995. The hotel was originally built and owned by Japan-based Tokyo Group, it's Tokyo with a U at the end, Group, and opened in 1984 as the Emerald of Anaheim. It was renamed Pan Pacific Hotel Anaheim in 1989 when Tokyo merged its Emerald and Pan Pacific Hotel divisions. Disney purchased the hotel from Tokyo in 1995 and renamed it Disneyland Pacific Hotel. What is a unique feature about this hotel? Um... Can you be a little bit more specific on... Well, it's very unique in the Western Hemisphere for this building, for a building. I know. That is like 14 floors or more. Okay, I think I know what fact you're talking about then. Um, There's a 13th floor. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. It actually had a 13th floor um, because the Japanese don't consider 13 to be an unlucky number because it's a more common in Western Hemisphere for, for, you know, for you to go from 12 to 14 or there'll be a, a loge or there'll be something in the middle. Yes. They'll call it. So, and in December 2000, it will be renamed the Paradise Pier Hotel. I stayed at this hotel under every name it ever was <laughs> i've only so. done paradise pier and mm-hmm. you know i like it yeah i do too actually it's not the worst I, I the pool isn't terrific they need to do more with the pool yeah, true. but otherwise i like the hotel yeah i i was harsh on it the first time i stayed there and looking back at it it's not that bad mm-hmm. it has good sized rooms yes true okay, okay december 12th The United Artists feature-length documentary, Around the World in 80 Minutes, at Douglas Fairbanks, is released on December 12, 1931. Mostly comprised of glorified home movies taken by film star Douglas Fairbanks Sr. doing a trip to the Orient. It also includes an animated sequence by the Walt Disney Studio. What does this sequence feature? Or maybe I should say, who does this sequence feature? I know it features Mickey, and I think he's, like, dancing around or something. That's exactly. It's a special cartoon scene created just for the Fairbanks film featuring a dancing Mickey Mouse. I don't think I've ever seen this around the world in 80 minutes. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I, I watched a clip of of Mickey in this one time. So, I, But that's, that's it. Okay. All righty, well... It was a it was a tough week. There are, there were a lot of obscure things in there. <laughs> it happens. Okay, well, you know, we talked about uh, what what's coming up next 
in uh, for D23 and a virtual event. So they did announce it during the week of December 8th to 11th. Gold and D23 Gold and family members are invited to a virtual holiday party for part two of their celebration of the new book, Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks. So Golden family members can sign up now for the panel. And what it is, it's a panel that you'll be able to view from December 8th through the 11th. And today, as of this recording, they started their D23 season of magic sweepstakes. So members can enter daily to win prizes. And today's prize was um those scary Mickey and Minnie Legos yeah. that I think you built. Yep, yep. They are uh, they are scary, but I mean they're expensive. So whoever wins got a good prize for sure. Yeah, I wish I'd list somehow the winners so that we know that you know prizes are actually being given out. Yeah, yeah. And this is true for every contest. You never know who's won. I I agree with that. As as a person who has held contests, uh, I I still agree with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so something to look forward to this holiday season. So, so speaking of holidays, Craig, how was your Thanksgiving celebration? I, mine was nice. So it just ended up being uh, Kylie and I at home and eating way too much, gaining too much weight. And uh, I really no complaints uh, about it. Mm-hmm. So I not not every Thanksgiving needs to be over the top. And mine was not over the top by any means. It was just it was delightful. So I had a Good. great time. How was yours? Yeah, my, mine was very nice as well. Drove down to San Francisco, uh, you know, went to the cemetery to pay my respects to to Carol and my family that's there. And then, um, yeah, went to Carol's family for Thanksgiving. It was a smaller gathering. Mm-hmm. It was small for Carol's family. I mean, it was like eight people were there. And as we talked um, off air before we started recording, I don't understand now young people bringing their dogs now to family events i just don't get it yeah (laughs) so but but there were dogs as well very very sweet dogs but um it was nice i got to bring home quite a bit of leftovers i had a whole nother thanksgiving meal the next day so that was nice traffic was light because sometimes it's a nightmare driving back because people are going up to tahoe for the weekend yes yeah but um no that that wasn't happening so I did watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in the Wonderful World of Disney Magical Holiday Celebration. Did you watch those? I did. Uh, I watched. I I uh, really enjoyed the um, the the Macy's Parade this year, considering mm-hmm. it was such a unique uh, a unique having uh, take on the parade, having the issues that they did. But I, you know, I I drifted in and out on a couple things, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. I like that they seem to cut down on some of the live musical performances. Yes. Um, I like, though, that they use, because, you know, the, the high school and college bands couldn't travel there. I loved how they, u- they used local um, groups, bands, and, and things like that um, to fill in. Yeah, it, it was nice. I think the only time I got really irritated at all through this parade was when Darlene Love was singing, who I was shocked that she was still alive to begin with. And <laughs> there were a couple people I didn't know <laughs> still alive. And uh, but they cut her off in the middle of the song. Like, how do you cut off Darlene Love? And so that just 
that irritated me. But I was super happy that I got to see um, uh, two of my friends perform who are who are definitely friends of the Diz. They they've appeared in a couple things. So if you if you remember during the marathon show, we did uh, we did the live reading of Carousel of Progress, and my friend mm-hmm. Fergie was played the father in that you would have seen him in the background during the Skylar sisters performance from the Hamilton segment. Yeah. Uh, I watched that. Definitely. Yeah. And he's, he's walking around in the back is, um, Mm -hmm. uh, in his character. Unfortunately, he didn't get to sing in that song since it's the Skylar sisters, Mm -hmm. uh, just, just the sisters. And then, then Burr. So unfortunately he didn't get to, to do his mulligan Madison routine in there, but he was in the background. And then uh, you also saw uh, my other friend during the the marathon show. He called in during the portion where Steve was, but Nick Walker, he, he has moved on from Hamilton and touring with Hamilton and is now in the cast of Ain't Too Proud, the story oh. of the Temptations. So he uh, he's playing Otis. So the oh, and that was I thought that's a show I would love to see because I like the Temptations. Yep, it's I'm super excited. I had plans to to get to New York to see him after because uh, he was only he was only in the show for like a month before theaters closed down. So uh, luckily, luckily they're starting to get him back into the show with some of these performances and stuff but it was super exciting uh to see to see friends during the parade especially like you know i've seen my high school played the thanksgiving day parade i think twice while i was going growing up and so it was exciting to see that but it's you know it's always it's always fun seeing people you know on national tv so that doesn't happen every day of the week (laughs) no no for good reasons yeah (laughs) and then uh, the wonderful world of disney magical holiday celebration i was less enthused about that yeah i i thought (laughs) you know you still could have done live performances in empty parks and stuff or something i i just thought you know i don't know i was disappointed with it i i was too and um you know it's Disney in the holidays right now doesn't seem to be off to a great start because the family sing along was uh, not very exciting either. So I didn't watch it. I'm not into sing alongs. So, um, uh, Michael, you, you congratulations! You just saved yourself a lot of wasted time. So. It'll be on Disney Plus, I'm sure, if it's not already. Yeah, I think <laughs> if it's not on this week, it's definitely on Hulu for like seven days. So it might be oh, okay. Hulu for a week and then it'll move to Disney Plus. It'll be on there. You know, put it on in the background if you want to listen to some Christmas music in Frozen. Uh, but do not do not sit down and actually watch it. And I'm sorry if I offend anyone out there who loved it. But ugh, this it, it, I I can not wait for these sing-alongs and, and such to just end. <laughs> oh, you mean you don't go to the Beauty and the Beast sing-along? That I remember in the early days of the show, I sarcastically said, you know, they'll hit rock bottom when they have a Beauty and the Beast sing-along in the Paris Pavilion, and France Pavilion, and there it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I... I'll just keep wearing out my VHS tape of Disneyland fund, fun, yeah. not fund. <laughs> uh, they want the funds from it, but Disneyland fun. I'll just keep watching that anytime I need a sing along. Well, well, speaking of Disney Plus and Hulu and all that, what 
besides the holiday films that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks that we're looking forward to. There's a couple, there's some things on Disney Plus, and I'm including Hulu in here because Disney owns a big chunk of Hulu. Um, there's some things I'm looking forward to in December. I don't know if you're looking forward to anything in particular, but there's that series on point about young people who are trying out for the, I think it's the New York School of Ballet and, and, the, and the Nutcracker. Yeah, I saw that. And that looks fascinating yeah. and all that because I'm sure it's going to be grueling and you'll wonder do these young people have real lives and all that but um anyway and then of course soul i'm looking forward to on disney plus yes i mean who isn't it's gonna Mm -hmm. be it's gonna be emotional for sure yeah yeah and then um and then on hulu there's a new hardy boy series that's starting (laughs) yeah and i i read every hardy boys book there was when I was a boy. I did book reports on them in fifth grade. I think almost every book report I did was because you got extra credit for book reports. I think every one I did was on the Hardy Boys. <laughs> I, so. Yeah, I I inherited my dad's collection uh, when when I was younger and and read through a lot of them. So I, I I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing if it's any good. And then, then they're having the film, the 2020 film, The Secret Garden. I'm always a sucker for versions of The Secret Garden. And then um, I think this week on NBC, Dr. Seuss's The Grinch Musical is being performed. They did a little excerpt of it in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's then going to play on Hulu. Yeah. So I, I guess it can watch it without commercials. Yeah, I want to see it. I know nothing about it. I all I know is uh, Matthew Morrison creeped me mm-hmm. out when he appeared in his makeup. So uh, <laughs> it's normally worse I than watch, Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also don't care for his take on it, but I don't uh, either. You know, it's usually when I want to watch something scary for Christmas, I'll watch Krampus. But I guess now I have another chance with the Grinch musical. So mm-hmm. why not? So, so is there anything else you're looking forward to? I think you kind of hit it all, so I'm not. I'm just gonna go through my list and and stress out about not watching enough, like I say over and over again on here, and and hope that at least what I do make time to to watch, I I enjoy it as thoroughly as possible. Good, excellent, all righty, and we just want to remind folks: don't forget, December fifth is Walt Disney's birthday. So we wanted to do something yeah. to commemorate that. I'm, I'm the, the Walt Disney Family Museum is having a, um, like a, a, some sort of virtual event. I think they're doing a tour of the museum with an emphasis on the life of Walt Disney in, in some of the galleries or something. And, um, that's at one o'clock. I signed up for that. And then Walt Disney's birthplace in Chicago, they have a special event. We had to buy a ticket for it. And, um, and they're, they're going to walk you around the rooms and talk about Walt and all that, but they'll take you to the room that he was born in. Hmm. And I thought, okay, this is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's... and all that. And then it is a special. If you buy the upgraded ticket, there's a, um, there's a, a special like 30 minute, 20 minute event, something with Tony Baxter and as well. Fun. So, um, and I think you get a t shirt. Oh, <laughs> Although they didn't ask what size. <laughs> that, so I don't quite know how that's working. 
So, and then I, I read on the, or I heard on the, um, on the our Walt Disney World show today that now Give Kids the World is, and Diz Unplugged, they have a holiday auction of Christmas ornaments. Yeah. So and- uh, I, I apologize. I don't have a lot of information on it besides what was on that show. Uh, it's, you can find out about the ornaments at Give gktw.org slash dis holiday i believe is the uh is one of the links that at least you can mm-hmm. use to get there or you can go to the homepage of wdwinfo.com and you'll find it right on, on the homepage of our website but yeah it's uh they got a whole bunch of disney ornaments that are are up for auction and you can uh you can bid on them and of course all the proceeds go to give kids the world and i i guess there might be new experiences being added to it as well i'm a hundred percent not positive on this all i know is that they contacted pete like a week ago and said hey we want to do an auction and we want to put this unplugs name on it can we and then we can promote it and he said yeah so uh it's yeah, that's that's honestly all the information that I have. But yeah. besides, well, I went saying, on the site, yeah, and, and even the things have been um, the things have been added since I went on the site. So, and there's other things. There's like a Tim Allen autograph Buzz Lightyear Funko has been added, like since we started recording. Oh, nice! And uh, Chevy Chase autographed Christmas Vacation jersey. Oh, that's you'll funny. have to bid on that. I, if I could afford it with what it's going to go for, I 100% would. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some Splash Mountain memorabilia um, there as well. So, nice. which will probably go. Oh, and there's even a Pluto hat ornament. So, anyway, there's all kinds of stuff. Oh, Wayne Knight autographed Jurassic Park jacket, size medium. It's, I mean, oh, that won't fit funny. me, but I would love that. I, I love Wayne Knight. <laughs> so so it looks like they're going to be adding something in, stuff in as the days go on and there's six days 23 hours left yeah, very cool. as of this moment in time also so we'll have a link to that in our show notes mm-hmm. and also just a reminder we also have links for give kids the world night of a million lights and the give kids the world Diz family reunion 2021 march 25th to the 27th at the contemporary resort so anyway, so I think that'll be about it for today. Yeah. This is a this is this we've had a lot of information in this show. Yeah. So so Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh you can find me on all the shows I'm on on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network, and then of course, as always, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Teleclaster, and then you can email me Craig at WDWINFO.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWINFO.com. And on Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm MichaelBowling-ConnectingWithWalt. Instagram, I'm MichaelBowlingTheDiz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. And if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. 
So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>